0: All right. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. So glad you came today and uh, brave the weather to be here with us. Thank you. You're my tough, hearty guys, and I just appreciate you so very, very much. I want to also welcome all those who are watching by way of television or some many stream today, and some of you could not get out and be here, but you're watching us online this morning. Thank you for. Tuning in and watching us, or just going to our website and downloading one of the programs. Uh, they're on our website. Every service we do is, can be found at www.faithishere.org. Usually the service is posted about two days after it runs on Sunday, and you can download it and watch it live in, uh, anywhere. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let me, let me, uh, we're talking about the family. And uh, our theme for the whole series is found in Psalm 127 verse one. You guys can, you probably could say it with me, "Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain." We're talking about building a family that is centered around the Lord. Building on the rock, the Christ Jesus, the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, we're wasting our time. It's all going to come to nothing. It's got to be based on a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked about how that looked and what a godly mother looks like the first week. And then the second week, we went and moved on into the kitchen. And we're kind of working our way through the home, as you saw in the little trailer at the beginning. Uh, we moved into the kitchen area. And we, our basic premise was we've got to do some home cooking. You can't depend upon the church to do all the discipleship of your children or of your family. And so every family is responsible for passing out, passing on that generation of faith from generation to generation. It's got to begin in the home. Don't count on the church to do all your discipleship. Amen. Do it in your own houses as well. We'll supplement and augment what you're doing. And then we moved to the dining room. And the dining room was kind of the thought that came to our mind is that's where the communication takes place. That's where we get together and just talk together as a family. And so we talked about the art of communication and how it applies to marriage, but not just marriage, every area of your life. And James gives us some great instruction. He says, be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger and if we'll do that in our marriages and we'll do that in the family of god it will save us all kinds of heartache and conflicts and pain and suffering if we can get that communication component down quick to listen hear what they're saying slow to speak think before you talk and open your mouth and make a mess of things and slow to anger if we'll do that. God will help us. Great, great words right there. Now, today we're moving into the bedroom. And the bedroom is where the intimacy takes place. It's, it's where the fun goes on. It's where all that happens in the bedroom. It's where there's that closeness in the evening with husband and wife. Uh, but also, intimacy is all about one another and the family of God and how we relate to each other. So if you're not married today, don't tune me out right now because we're talking to everybody. How do we draw close? How do we accomplish what God wants us to do? And we'll look at that in just a minute from the Word of God let me tell you a little story we'll tell you a story about a husband and a wife they had been married for 50 years and they fought for 50 years they argued for 50 years. They couldn't get along, and it was a struggle the whole time, but they stayed together. And the man was very abrasive. He was very rude and crude, uh, and, and the wife just was always fighting back, and they just fought constantly. And so their grown kids had seen enough of it, and by now they say, you know what? It was their 50th anniversary. And for your 50th anniversary, we are going give, to give you a visit to the psychiatrist the marriage counselor, and we want you to go sit down with this marriage counselor. We're going to pay for it all. We'll pay for all the sessions. We want you to go there because I think he can help your marriage. They didn't want to go. They thought they knew everything after 50 years, but they went because their kids had raised the money to buy this for them, and they thought they better go and do it, and so they went to the marriage counselor kicking and screaming, as it were, and when they sat down on the couch across from the marriage counselor, they immediately started arguing about one another, and one said, you go first, and the other said, no, you go first, and then says, I'm going first so I can share what really the real story is and what the real problem is, and they began arguing right away inside of this marriage counselor's office. And finally, the marriage counselor had had, had about all he could have, and he got up, from his seat, he walked over and took the wife and grabbed her by the face and planted a big kiss on her lips. And then he looked at the husband and said, "Now, this is what—if you want to save your marriage, this is what has got to happen three times a week." And the man looked back and said, "Okay, I'll bring her back on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays." (Laughter) Let's stand together and get serious here. <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to start out, we're going to get heavy right out of the gate. And so I thought I'd open with a joke because it's going to get heavy real fast. I'm going to lay out probably in the introduction, which is going to be the longest part of the body of the sermon, uh, just the uh, theology. The theology. I believe the devil is out to wreck families, and I think we sometimes have marginalized him and we got it all wrong, and we think his, he's all about making our lives miserable. It's not that at all. There's a, he's got a deeper plan and purpose, and that's to foil the purposes of God. And when you go back to the book of Genesis, you begin to understand the deeper purposes and plan of God. And so we're going to look at that together. We're going to lay out the theology, and that's what Paul would do in his letters. He'd write the first three chapters of Ephesians. It would be heavy theology, and then he would say, okay, this is the practical how you put it in action. So we'll be doing that here today, and I'll give you four points at the end that will kind of tie it and draw it all together. So we're going to look at that first family and try to get an understanding on intimacy. Let's start with Genesis 1 and verse 11 and 12. Then God said, let the the produce vegetation let the land produce vegetation seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to their various kinds in other words he says I'm going I'm to make plants I'm going to create them I want to put them on the land and every plant will have the potential to reproduce And they will bring more plants. There will be seeds in every plant that will give it the ability to produce more plants after its kind, okay? And it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your sweet presence. And uh, Lord, help us to understand your word today. Do what you want to deepen our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Uh, Just turn around and tell someone you're glad they're dry today and inside and not outside. And then you may be seated. God, puts creation in order he, he has this creative week and for six days and six nights he creates the heavens and the earth and he starts out with all the inanimate objects the stars the moon uh, the sky the sun all that kind of stuff and he creates it and he makes it and then he begins to make living things and he says for living things to continue on they have got to have the ability to reproduce and so within every living thing he puts a seed It's amazing that God could put small seeds and that one seed has the potential to bring all kinds of trees and plants just out of those little simple seeds. On, and in the book of Genesis, four different times he says, and God saw that it was good. And so he'd make something, he'd say, boy, that's pretty good. I, I, I did it there, this is awesome. And then he'd make something else. Oh, this is good, this is really good. And then when you get down to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and he does something. In the Hebrew it comes out very strong. He says, it is not good for a man to be alone. He says, it's good, 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 good not good that man would be alone. Now now keep in mind he's made man by now. He's created man in his image. He has placed him in a garden. He has got full fellowship and openness with God the creator. They're together. They're in the garden. They're hanging out. He's got work to do. He's got responsibility. He's got a purpose in his life. You're going to name all the animals. You're going to take care of the garden. You're going to watch everything. Make sure (coughs) excuse me Run smoothly, and you're going to do all these kinds of things. But he still says, after all that, it's not good that man should be alone. And so the wise God has a wonderful solution. He says, I'm going to make another creature, which is going to be like man, but wondrously unlike him. Okay? So I'll make another creature, another creation, be like man, but wondrously and uniquely different. And I'm gonna create her. And and the Bible says she is taken from man to complete him. Now I want you to jump down now to Genesis 1, 27 and 28. You're gonna see the theme continue of this seed and reproduction. Follow me here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Purpose 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, everybody say fruitful, Fruitful. and increase. Fruitful and increase. King James, I think, would say multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. In number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, the the different thing about man and his seed is God puts his own seed within man, right? Creates all the plants, all the other animals. They have the ability to reproduce. They have seed within them, but it's not God's unique seed. But when he makes man, follow me here, he makes man in the very image of God, So man is going to carry the seed of God. We are the only creation, we're the only creature made in the image of God. We bear his seed. But there's one thing you must keep in mind. The seed can be in you and it will remain in you unless there is first intimacy. Without intimacy, you can't fulfill God's plan of multiplying and reproducing and replenishing the earth and being fruitful. You can have the seed, but it may not multiply. And God says in order for this to happen, in order for this to take place, this fruitfulness and multiplication, there has got to be intimacy. it has got to be closeness the way he set it up. It's the way he designed it. Now let me tell you something, church, and follow me here closely. We were not created to do life alone. God never intended man to do life by himself. Therefore, he says, it is not good. We need each other. That's why the church is so important. That's why your home groups are so important. That's why we do life together. The whole church, the whole family thing, the whole body of Christ is lived within the context of other people in the church. To be fruitful and multiply, we all need each other. And so one of the most important decisions you'll ever make are the relationships you choose and how you function within those relationships to accomplish what God has placed in our hearts to accomplish the fruitfulness and multiplication there has got to be intimacy or closeness now marriage let's talk about marriage for just a moment marriage was designed to fulfill that need for companionship within man he says man's alone doesn't have a companion like him Even though there's all kinds of animals, even though he's got a relationship with God, there's nobody like him, right? So he says, it's not good. And so marriage was created for companionship and completion, both for the female and for the male, to relieve that fundamental loneliness that we have alone and by ourselves. And to the degree you do not meet the needs of your spouse, either spiritually or Mentally, emotionally, or physically, you're still alone in that area. You know when the Bible says the two will become one flesh. If you don't meet the needs of your spouse, it physically, emotionally, mentally, and physically and spiritually. That the degree you don't do those things, you are still isolated and by yourself in those areas. You see, one fleshness in the word of God has a whole lot more to do than just having sex at the end of the day. I believe true covenant biblical oneness is one body, mind, soul, and spirit because that's what we're made of and that's what we completing each other. That's why that union, that relationship is so vitally important, that completeness of one flesh. It implies accepting, it implies giving, it implies listening, it implies forgiving, amen? Somebody help me here. Blending two lives to complete each other. I wanted to look at that first marriage for just a moment. God makes Adam, He makes Eve, He brings her out, and and uh, you know He's got this. He's been watching animals. She says, that's not, it's not the one. That's not the one. There, that's that's not working. And He brings out Eve. The Bible says He goes. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The Hebrew doesn't really capture it. I mean, the the English doesn't really capture the. Uh, the, the, the intensity there, but he kind of goes, wow, man. That means woman, that's where we got woman from. It's a bad joke, so don't, just forget it, just forget it, I, I saw the, you're still wet. Uh, but anyway, wow, man, and brings her, and the Bible describes them as being naked and unashamed. There's no barrier there, nothing between them. They are naked and unashamed, and there are no hidden agendas There are no hang-ups. There's no embarrassment. There's complete absence of self-consciousness. They're not self-conscious. They're others conscious. Now follow me here. There is unrestrained freedom between male and female, both emotionally and physically. They are naked physically, and they are unashamed emotionally. And there's no barriers between them. There's nothing to separate them. The absence of sin allowed unhindered openness. But when sin came in, follow me here, what do Adam and Eve do? They cover up. Because sin comes in. Satan comes in. The serpent comes in. What is the serpent trying to do? What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to stop intimacy. And so they cover up. And instead of becoming aware of each other, all of a sudden, for the very first time, they are self-aware. Now, they've always been naked, running around the garden naked, having a great time naked. They're aware of each other. But when sin comes in, they realize they're naked, they immediately become self aware or self conscious. And what do they do? They cover up. They cover up. Turn to Genesis 3, 9 and 10. Now we're, we're gonna stay, please stay with me. This is you got you gotta hang here. It's really gonna get good in a minute. But the Lord God called to the man where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. For the first time, man is now self-aware, and what comes with self-awareness? Fear, right? Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid to be open. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to reveal who we really are. Fear comes in, and so I hide, and I shut down. God's intention for a marriage is without shame and total intimacy. Any shame in a marriage relationship did not originate with God. It comes from the enemy and fear. In fact, the biblical expression for sexual intercourse is to know. In Genesis 4 and 1, it says, to know. They knew each other. and They use the word know there in the Hebrew language. It's the same word that says, and God knew Abraham, and God was close with him, and they were friends together. It's the same word when he talks about relationship between male and female to talk about God's love for us. So he knows us intimately in every way. How different Things are today. Marriages are crippled. They are blinded by sin. People wrestle with relating to one another freely and openly because we come in with baggage and we carry the effects of sin and we become self-conscious and we become self-aware. And intimacy begins to break down. And so often intimacy in the bedrooms becomes a a frustrating struggle of a strange mixture of selfishness, self-consciousness, self-awareness, embarrassment, dissatisfaction, and resentment with only brief glimpses of pleasure and fulfillment. In a covenant marriage, true freedom that true oneness of body, mind, soul, and spirit, when you have that lined up with God and God's plan for your marriage, uh, the intimacy is awesome. It is through the roof. And there's no embarrassment. There's no shame. You're not self-conscious. You're others conscious. The fear leaves. Intimacy opens up, and your marriage is free and exciting. And yet, often it doesn't exist that way. Now, I want to tell you something. I can tell right now, it's, getting really, it's really quiet in here. And men, if you're, and I'm, I'm, I am one, men, uh, men get a little embarrassed when you talk about intimacy. And so when I stand up and preach, I say, oh, pastor, and all that love stuff. You know, if you're like me, the movies I like have got to have multiple car chases and a lot of bombs blowing up. Right, that's 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 just where I'm at. That's where I live. I I want the more I I I the 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 degree of the quality of the movie is how many bombs blew up and how many cars ran off the road. That's and if a lot of that happened, boy, it gets high marks in my mind. I I wouldn't be able to pick them for the Grammys or the Emmys or whatever those things are. And so so that's kind of my marks for a movie. But when they start kissing. I get uncomfortable. And so what I wanna do is I wanna change the channel right away. Ah, it's mushy. I wanna change the channel and I wanna leave that and I wanna go somewhere else. Any other men kind of like me in here with with that whole thing? Maybe a handful of you. But that's kind of what we liked is the car chases. But sometimes this fear of intimacy, if we are not careful, leaves us struggling alone. And we fight our battles alone. Let me tell you something, sin in itself is not deadly, but secret sin is. Sin itself won't kill you, but when you hide it over it, when you brood over it, when you cover it up, when you are closed, it'll kill you. In fact, the enemy's desire above everything else is to separate God's people from experiencing intimacy. Intimacy. Because he knows we can't be fruitful and we can't multiply without it. You with me here? You can't be fruitful relationally with God or with others without intimacy. Now, if God's whole plan for man is to be fruitful and multiply, if his plan for his church is to be fruitful and multiply, in order for that to happen, there's got to be what? intimacy if the enemy can come in and stop our intimacy he will also stop God's purposes for us and that's to be fruitful and multiply that's that's why the devil's uh, Satan's always killing babies see it all throughout the word of God he's trying to attract, attack the seed he's trying to destroy the potential he's trying to destroy the next generation And so you go back to the days of Moses in Egypt. What's he do? He's going to kill all the firstborn children. He's going to try to destroy the seed. He's going to try to destroy the nation. He's going to try to destroy the next generation. So he kills the potential. He sends Herod sends the troops into Bethlehem, trying to kill the seed, kill the promise, destroy the seed. This is not done by Herod. This is done by Satan himself. And there's left the voice of those crying in Ramah, wailing for the death of their male children, all throughout the city of Bethlehem. And there's wailing and weeping going on because they've just come in and slaughtered all the male children. The enemy is always out to destroy the seed. You thought the enemy's main purpose was to make your life miserable. Listen, you got a very narrow view of cosmic warfare. The warfare with Satan is on a much larger, grander scale than just giving you a bad day today. Or just after you. Don't think of yourself all that great. He could care less about you. He wants to destroy his purposes of God. And the purposes of God are always to be fruitful and multiply. How will he destroy that? Through destroying our intimacy with one another. Mm, 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 mm. That's why 21% of all pregnancies now end in abortions in the United States. Since Roe versus Wade 1973, 43 years ago, about 59 babies, 59 million babies have been aborted. Did you hear that? What's happening? The enemy is out to destroy the seed, the potential, the purposes of God. Be fruitful and multiply. The whole pornography is an attack on marriages. Pornography is designed to give you a sexual encounter without a person. It's to give you a sexual experience without experiencing intimacy. Think about it. That's what pornography's designed to do. Scientists have found out, listen to me, it is physically and socially affecting people's ability to participate in intimacy, pornography. So men's minds and ladies' minds become burned over fields from the repeated exposure to pornography. And they begin to attach themselves to to an object, to something that's not real, a fantasy to have a sexual expression without requiring intimacy. And Satan is laughing all the time because through pornography, he's defeating the purposes of God to be fruitful and multiply, because you can't be fruitful and multiply without intimacy. You tracking with me here? The whole homosexual marriage. What, what an ingenious plan by the enemy, by Satan himself to make it very popular. So now we have a whole movement of people who cannot reproduce. Look at divorce. Divorce is not just about breaking the covenant. We think, oh, they're gonna get a divorce. Oh, man, you promised, and you promised, and now you're breaking your promise. Isn't that really, really bad? Yes, that's not good to break your promises, but that's not the main issue with God. The Bible says God hates divorce because it messes up his godly seed. So it says in Malachi chapter three, God hates divorce because it stops the ability to be fruitful and multiply. It stops And crushes the ultimate plan of God. And if multiplication does occur, often because of a dysfunctional marriage, that dysfunctionality is carried on from generation to generation to generation. And those generational curses are put in place. And so he says, Husband and wife, stay together, love God, so you can have what? A godly seed. A godly seed. It's about the seed. It's about the potential. It's about the next generation. God is a family God. God is a generational God. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He sees the seed of God multiplying from generation to generation to generation. So he says in Malachi, I hate divorce. And then he tells us exactly why. Why? Because it'll mess up the seed. It'll mess up the next generation. He seeks godly offspring. Malachi 2 and verse 15. So so the Old Testament, you have this whole panorama of uh, of, of this struggle relationally with God. It's about God and his people and their struggles relationally and the people of God struggling with one another and this is all going on and then he closes. And I want you to go to Malachi chapter four. Go to Malachi four. He closes with this Bam, this powerful verse, the very last verse of the entire Old Testament, Malachi 4 and verse number 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. In other words, if our families don't come back together, you will destroy yourselves. The the destruction in America is not the problem with government. The destruction in America is the failure of our families. It's about the seed. Mm -mm -mm. Now, Malachi ends. 400 years of silence. And then Jesus Christ comes. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah who would give his life for us, who would take care of this mess and curse of sin that the world had gotten itself into. So he comes in to break the curse. And before he leaves, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Before he leaves, he says this. Now follow the line here. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Go and spread my gospel. Go and take it from generation to generation. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose What's the purposes of God? Genesis. Be fruitful, multiply. All the way to Matthew 28. Now go and do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Take my gospel all around the world. Don't stop. We are all a part of God's larger family, the church. Now where am I going with this? We were never intended to do the Christian journey and life alone. Nobody. I, I, just, I just drives me nuts when someone says, you know, I love Jesus, and I love God. I just don't want to go to church. Don't like church. Got people there. I, I like my Sunday mornings, but I really love Jesus. Well, wait a minute. God designed you for Intimacy. God designed you to be fruitful multiply. How do you do that at home? All by yourself. You're you're frustrating the purposes of God. See, So even though the guy may be a a great, nice guy, it's not going to move from generation to generation, and it's not going to happen in his own neighborhood and on the workplace, because he's self-absorbed, not others' conscience. Mm, mm, mm. You can't do life alone. That's why our group life is so important at Faith Assembly of God. Don't just check in on Sunday morning and check out. Find a group. Now, we're gonna take a little break in the summer, but we're gonna start them right back up in the fall, and you jump in a home group somewhere and get involved, get plugged in with men, women, couples, whatever, young adults, youth, children, get involved somewhere. God's seed is in you, and he wants you to take his seed, And be fruitful, multiply. And if you'll do that, if we'll have intimacy, we will see God do more than we can ever dream or imagine because we're in line with the greater purposes of God. And there's a potential. He's got a seed inside of you and he wants to explode that and bring you to your full potential in the kingdom of God. But it can't happen unless we're intimate (coughs) with each other. So how do we do that? Real quick, four things I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna jot them down and write these down. We're gonna get the practical stuff now. That's the theology. You had to get the greater plan and theology of God to understand the, the context and the whole rest of the message, okay? So number one is the arena. Now, the arena, you might sum it up by saying, I know you and you know me and we know each other. The arena is our public persona, It's what you see when you're out in public. It's what you see when I'm on the platform. It's what I allow you to see. It's what I open up for you to see. It's only a part, though, of who I am. It is the most superficial and shallow of all relationships. It's the relationship of how you doing today. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? And we shake hands, and all is well, and all is wonderful, and we breeze through life, and we never get close. It's the arena the arena you you see me on the on the big stage and so we create this whole public persona of who we would like to be and we reveal ourselves and we reveal that much to somebody else it's not really intimacy at all the danger of that and that level of intimacy is you become a chameleon you know what a chameleon does whatever color he's on that's the color he turns to and so we change our public persona to blend in with the crowd we're with, right? So I'm at work, I blend in, talk like them, act like them, walk like them, because I'm at work. I'm at church, I blend in my public persona. I walk like them, I talk like them, I smile like them. I'm at church, I'm doing all those things. Uh, and so wherever you're at, the danger is it, it, you blend in for the crowd you're in. You do, and, and the Bible calls this acting. And, and uh, there's a Greek word for it, it's, uh, or there's an, it's translated in English, hypocrisy. It was the public persona of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were condemned for their hypocrisy because they were one thing on the outside. As he says on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're all messed up. You're messed up. But boy, that tombstone glistens in the sunlight. Whew. Doesn't that look good? that's the arena. Very shallow, very superficial, very dangerous. In, in, in Greek, and we're, we're, we're Western thinkers, we're Greek thinkers. Most of our thought comes from the Western mindset. So in the Greek way of thinking, there was the, that's when the lecture began. That's when the teachers would come and they would teach and we sat in rows and we listened and we learned. In Hebrew thought, it was circular and so what happens is it developed out of relationship. So someone would say, uh, Pastor Larry, where did you get your education? Well, I graduated from Central Bible College, and I won't tell you what year, but it's a long, long time ago. I graduated from Central Bible College, and that becomes our educational system. But in the, in the Hebrew culture, they would say, I studied under Gamaliel, like the Apostle Paul said. So it was a person-to-person I graduated from the University of Jesus Christ. I, graduated, I was a disciple and I was one of the 12 and that's where I did my training and that's where I did my learning. And so what happens is it was not so much of a lecture, a talking head, me telling you how to do life, it was let's walk and do life together, which is the biblical model for discipleship. Discipleship can occur until we start doing life together. okay. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter two and verse eight, he says, "I, I didn't just come and proclaim the word of God. I gave them my life as well. I became knit with them. I felt with them. I shared with them. We have to give people more than just the surface, more than just the arena. We cannot reach our full potential without intimacy, openness, and vulnerability with God and other people. There has to be more than just what we betray of ourselves. That's the arena. You understand that? Let's move to the next one. The next phase is the mask, the mask. And that's I know, but you don't. The mask that we put on. I know, but you don't. It's we all have secrets. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us in here have secrets, right? We all have secrets, And and I will also caution you, it's probably a real good thing everybody doesn't know my secrets. It's a real good thing. You might not want me up here today. But we all need someone with whom we can take the mask off. We all need somebody in our life, someone where the mask can come off. Where you can just come home and you know what, say, honey, I just feel like kicking puppies today. You just let it all out. You need somebody in your life that you can be honest with. If you keep secrets to yourself, you will always be as sick as your secrets. Hmm. Let me read that again. That's just too good. If you keep secrets, you will always be as sick as your secrets. Proverbs 28:13 Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper but the one who confesses renounces them and finds mercy. Now you say, "Oh pastor, that's great. I'll just confess it to God." Nobody'll have to ever know. I'll confess it to God, me and God, I'll find mercy and everything will be great and so I'll open it up to him. But we keep it covered with everybody else. But here's the problem. You can do that, and yes, you will find forgiveness. But James 5, 16 takes it a step further. Confess to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now here's the difference. If you want forgiveness, you go to God. If you want healing, you unpack your bags with somebody else that can walk through life with you you got that you can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross anybody can anytime place. but if you want that emotional healing there's got to be somebody who you can unpack your bags with and that's where the emotional healing occurs we need somebody we can be honest with satisfaction and peace will only occur when we are totally honest Honesty. You ever notice how people really respond to honesty? People love honesty. You look at the athletic world, you've got all these athletes who mess up and they take steroids or they do something really stupid, and, 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 but they're, they can, if they're honest and open, somehow we forgive them. Because we are all imperfect, and when they just say, you know what, I really blow it, and yeah, I was doing this illicit drug, I shouldn't have been doing that, forgive me, yeah, we'll suspend you for five games, and just jump right back in. And, and then they jump back in, and they go on, and we try to help them. But when they deny it, when they lie about it, they're still out of the game. Uh, Pete Rose, I was Cincinnati, huge Reds fan, Pete Rose said, I did not bet on baseball, that was his main line for a while, and, I, and he was managing the Reds at the time, and I did not bet on the Cincinnati Reds. Well, when it came to light, he did bet on baseball, and he did bet, uh, bet on the Cincinnati Reds while they were playing. He's banned from the Hall of Fame for life. He can have nothing ever, ever to do with baseball again. Now, what was the main sin there? Well, betting's a bad thing to do, and that probably wasn't good, but if you'd have been open and honest out of the gate, the public would have responded to that a whole lot better than the whole mass thing, "I am not guilty, I am not guilty, I'm not." And when you know all the time, you're guilty. There's something about honesty and openness that because the Bible the Bible, the bottom line is people can care less about our mistakes, but what they care about is your deception, the cover-up. Hiding. If you cover your sins, God will expose you. If you expose your sins, God will cover you up. Isn't that awesome? If you're honest, if you're honest, let me tell you a story. I got to go. Oh my my! This time is flying by this morning. Uh, the the uh, David. David has this arena, and everybody could see the outside David, the external David. But then David moves from there, and he's going to put on a mask. When does he put the mask on? He has an affair with Bathsheba. He he sees her, he lusts, and he calls her to himself, and they have sexual relations Only problem is she gets pregnant, and that messed the whole thing up. Had she not gotten pregnant, he just skated right on. Uriah comes home; he's got plenty of concubines and ladies around the palace, and he, you know, he just he'd have breezed. But, but, but she gets pregnant; it messes everything up three so he he concocts a plan I'll bring Uriah back uh sleep with Bathsheba everybody will think the kid's Bathsheba's kid and uh, or, or, or Uriah's kid and we'll be fine and no one will be the wiser for it. well the problem is he is such a noble soldier he sleeps out on the front porch everybody sees him sleeping on the front porch and then in the next day, he tries to give them a little, get him a little alcohol. That'll loosen him up. And uh, same thing, I can't go in and sleep with her. Uh, he sleeps on the front porch. And he won't go in to his wife because how can I sleep with my wife when my comrades are fighting on the front and on the battle lines? And the Bible is very clear to point out he was more honorable than David. And the and the Bible's showing you this contrast in the two characters through the whole thing. And so what happens is he sends Uriah, he says, okay, on my signal, Joab, back off the troops, leave Uriah out there by himself, right by the wall, and you know, if he gets killed, uh, it's too bad. And so, sure enough, they back off, Uriah's killed. And so really, he gave the order that took Uriah's life. And so the Bible uh, faults him with both, not adultery, but murder. Now, he keeps this mask on, he covers his sin, And no one knows. Until Nathan walks up, tells him a story about lambs and sheeps, and David gets angry, and then he points the finger and he says, Thou art the man. God is exposing David. David is covering his sin, but God will expose it and bring it to light. Now, because of that, he loses his firstborn son, the son that was gonna be born to David and Bathsheba. He dies within the first week of his birth. And he writes this letter, that he would write this psalm, and I want you to hear this. He writes this psalm, Psalm 51, after the event, looking back on it, and he makes this statement, God desires truth in the inward parts. God is more attracted to honesty then he is your perfection. When it's all said and done, I'll be real. I'll be real with God. I'll be real with each other. I desire that. I want that. I long for that. More than anything else, I desire truth in the inward parts. We need to take the mask off before God and somebody else that we will be accountable to. And that's where the healing will occur. Number three. The blind spot, and this is this is uh, reversed. This is you know, but I don't. Okay, in our communication, in our in our intimacy, you know, but I don't. Everyone knows, but you. Everyone sees it. Everybody knows, but you. In, in other words, you, you know what it is? You got a you get a little hanger, hanger on her. You don't know it's there. Just hanging right bottom of your nose. It's a hanger. And somebody's talking to you. And what do they start doing? They're talking to you. They're, they're too embarrassed to say, hey, you got a big booger hanging out of your nose. They, they wouldn't say that, but you can't see it No, beneath your nose. You don't see it. It's a blind spot. What do they do? They, they're talking to you. you go, they start doing this kind of stuff, you know, just hoping you'll get the hint. You know, they don't want to say, hey, dude, you got one hanging there. It's really nasty, really bad. And they start wiping their nose. They don't want to say anything. But just hoping you'll get the hint and wipe your nose the blind spot somebody said a blind spot is like bo everybody else knows it but you the person who has it the person who has the bo listen to jeremiah 9 17 9 here's the struggle the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it the heart's deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it? And here's the here's the problem with them with this blind spot. So often we try to figure everything out by ourselves. And, and we don't seek out advice or counsel from anybody else. The problem is what's the Bible say? The heart's deceitful. You're all messed up, and then you're going to you for advice. We're messed up, so we can't trust ourselves. We have blind spots there are things we cannot see and what happens is we tend to view things through the lens of our own circumstances and we justify and we rationalize and we continue in that action because we make it all about us and we're justifying and rationalizing we need a Nathan someone with the courage to come up and say thou art the man you got a problem David and we need those Nathans in our life uh, who we are close enough to, who we are intimate with, who will say to us, thou art the man. you got a problem here, buddy. Proverbs 27.1, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. We need friends who will call us out. We don't, need, we don't have it all together, and so I need another set of eyes who will help cover my blind spots. And then the third, the fourth, number four, and I'm about done. The fourth is your potential, your potential. And this is I don't know and you don't know. And what I mean by that is we don't have all the answers. So I need you and you need me and we need to begin to do life together because I don't have it all together. And I don't know. And you don't have it all together. And you don't know. But together... Together, we can have intimacy. Together, we can be fruitful, multiply. Together, we can evangelize. Together, Ephesians four seventeen. From him, the whole body, joined and held together, everybody say together, yeah. by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each person, as each part, does its work. Your potential your potential can only be realized together. It's not about what I can do, it's about what we can do. What can we do collectively in the family of God? We is always better than me. I wanna say that together right now. We is better than me. Okay, five of you got it. Okay, I'll go slower. We is better than me. One more time, and I want it to sink in. We is better than me. That's why, that's why the Bible talks so much about unity. In Psalm 133, oh, it's, it's, it's like the oil running down the beard of Aaron, going through the gowns, dripping on the ground, touching everybody around it. That's what the anointing's like. That's what unity is when people dwell together. It's like the dew falling down on Mount Hermon, it, it brings fruitfulness, it brings blessing. Uh, Comes out of unity. So, why why don't people connect? And my musicians can come anytime. Why don't people connect? Why does it seem so hard to do this? Give you two quick reasons. Number one, people. People. We've been burned before, we've been hurt before. I'm carrying all these wounds from my past. And, and, and so we don't open up and we shut down and we lock down and we put up our walls and we put up our defenses because you hurt me before and I tried it before. It didn't work. I opened up and it went everywhere. It just spread like wildfire. My reputation was destroyed. My, my, my daddy abused me. My wife left me. It, it just, on and on it goes. And we've been hurt so many times before. And so we are afraid to be intimate. We shut down. We believe the lie that time heals all wounds. Listen, unless there's forgiveness, time only creates bitterness. Moves from anger to bitterness. Talks about a a root of anger, a seed of anger. When that seed of anger gets in there, the byproduct is bitterness. Time does not heal all wounds unless forgiveness and, and these things are dealt with. It only gets worse. Remember when the Lord prayed? He said, forgive them. He said, if you forgive others, then my heavenly father will forgive you. When you begin to release people from their past and you forgive them and you let it go, then my forgiveness will begin to flow again. And with that, my prosperity and my blessing. Forgiveness is the only way that healing, true healing can take place. And if you're here and you're not whole in your relationships, you're not whole in who you are, you're not where you need to be, and you're carrying this wound, this wound from the past, father wounds or wounds from a broken relationship, it's going to start with forgiveness. The second thing I think that keeps us from connecting is pride. Pride. People and pride. Let me give you a definition, just a short definition of pride. It's really good. Protecting something that is not worth protecting. Pride is protecting something that's not worth protecting. Protecting. So, what happens is we become vulnerable. We open up to others. We open up to God first. We open up to others. Vulnerability leads to intimacy. We we get into relationship with one another in the body of Christ. We become intimate in our marriage and our home relationships. Intimacy produces the seed. There's the seed of potential that is right there, and potential produces growth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus thanks for listening to this weekly podcast check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages